listening to the sound of silence, referring to this vibration to really uh, appreciate this. It's an opening. It's not a concentration practice of finding something and concentrating on it. It's it's opening and recognizing. That's why I find it a valuable <coughs> way of teaching. Because so our tendency is to f- concentrate on something. You know, we're conditioned to do things like that, to concentrate the mind. So even the idea of meditation can mean can just that they, it's time to meditate can bring almost a automatic reaction to concentrate. It's good something to do, something you have to do. Even listening to the sound of silence is a kind of duty or something you have to do. Gives the wrong uh, impression, the wrong attitude. So that's why during this. Uh, Retreat, emphasizing an attitude of openness, receptivity, listening, rather than doing something. <coughs> uh, this is something you have to zer- observe in yourself, you know, the, the kind of compulsive uh, tendencies that are so, you know, while we've actually been conditioned by our s- <coughs> societies, Something doing something, meditation is doing something. Being mindful is doing it, being, becoming mindful. Everything, you know, that I say can be something you should be doing. <clears throat> you can, you know, you know, without any, any real intention, but that the conditioning process is like the Pavlovian dog. You know, you salivate when the bell rings because you've been conditioned to do that. It's uh, on automatic pilot. And that's where this, uh, this, uh, this uh, retreat is main emphasis in these ref- morning reflections is to, to it's more to learn to trust yourself, to observe, not to to do not doing, or to uh, feel you you shouldn't do anything. It's not about a doing or not doing, it's about a listening, opening, being receptive, paying attention, here and now. So I find it more like relaxing letting go. These are the, the kind of words I find most useful to, to kind of counteract the, the obsessive doing tendencies that I see in myself. Now listening is uh, in the uh, Zen uh, Tradition in the Surangama Sutta, they have, they have, uh, you know, using using this uh, reference to listening, sound of silence, 
is generally not, you know, I've never really encountered it in, the, in this uh, as something to use in the Pali scriptures. It's my own discovery. But it, I found it very, you know, useful to integrate uh, and to, to really recognize uh, what it is to be aware in a, as a continuous, as a sustainable awareness rather than just a kind of momentary or flash of awareness. Before, before I started using this, it was more like awareness would kind of come in flashes in moments. But to sustain it, then there's this kind of koan that I made up. This sound of silence is, you know, I, I would go back to that all, everything is, is impermanent. All conditions are anicca dukkanata. <clears throat> and then I would say, is there, is there anything that is not anicca dukkanata? And, uh, and I just assumed there, would, there wouldn't be anything. So when I started noticing the sound of silence, contemplating it, then I thought, well, it's impermanent too. I just assumed my, my kind of commitment to all conditions are impermanent were, was uh, so strong that I never, you know, I just was, is there anything that is not impermanent? And then the word thing, a thing is a, a word in English, thing is always some condition, isn't it? Everything, a thing is a, is, is a, a sankhara, a phenomena. But there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. <clears throat> so in this teaching, uh, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. There is, it's not a thing, not something or anything. And when it, when it comes to uh, language, to description, you know, to, to def definition, to limitation, it's like nothing. No thing, but it's recognizable. And so, the, well, referring back to the Four Noble Truths, this, this insight into uh, cessation, Third Noble Truths, should be realized, should be recognized, in other words. The end of suffering or the cessation of dukkha Niroda Satcha should be, the insight should be realized. Well, the English word realize is recognition of the real, isn't it? It's not, we can use this word realize as a kind of world that you must realize that your true nature is that you're just a greedy person. You've got to face reality, you know, life is like this. And, and so we, we use the word as a kind of, you know, face up to it, to reality, which can be, you know, in terms of Dhamma, the worldly reality is an illusion. 
But in the Third Noble Truth, it's not about the, the world is reality, it's about it, reality should be recognized. This, when you let go, when there's non-attachment, openness, when there's no ubadana, there's no self, no con in other words, no attachment to anything, any condition, any view, any habit, any emotion, doesn't mean that we don't have any emotions or, or our mind is, uh, we don't think anymore, but it's that subtlety of realizing non-attachment, recognizing, knowing the reality of non-attachment is like this, should be realized. And then the fourth noble truth is should be developed. So the samaditi of the fourth noble truth, the path, the way of non-suffering is based on this recognition, awakened to the real. So the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned is reality. Dhamma, in other words, is then the, in Pali we have this word, the Dhamma, the real, the way it is. Reality then includes the conditioned. It's not, <clears throat> as I said before, it's not taking sides with the unconditioned. It's not, it's not divisive, it's, it's unitive. So that the condition then is, uh, you know, comes and goes according to other conditions. But the real, the ultimate reality is the unconditioned, which is recognizable. You can know this, not as an object, but through just letting go of a non-attachment. You open your consciousness then is free from your habitual tendencies. You're no longer projecting conditioned phenomena, grasping it in and using consciousness as your, uh, you know, as something to uh, delude yourself with. Consciousness is then unconditioned. Or this is up for speculation because in the five khandhas we use vijnana as the nicha dukkanata. But also <coughs> sensory consciousness, so being conscious through senses, through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, being conscious through the conditions of the mind. You know, I, I'm conscious, Ajahn Sumedho is a conscious person or unconscious, or consciousness is, is not r recognized, but we, in its purity, we, we tend to project into consciousness this sense of a self, the, the atta, the ego, sakaya ditti, silabhata brahmasa, vichikicha. So we, we're creating 
these conditions. And that is the world. So we create the world. And the world is the illusory world. It's a, it's a world of attachment, of division, duality. It's good and bad, right and wrong, heaven and hell, pleasant and painful, beautiful, ugly, the whole, the whole range, potential of change and conditioned phenomena and all its infinite varieties operate within the consciousness. So in the Buddha's pointed teaching is to let go of conditioned phenomena. To let go of it, you have to know what it is. You know, it's a good idea to let go of it, but do you really, have you really seen, do you really observe conditioned phenomena? And that's why uh, this, uh, I've been pounding away on this Sakya Ditti Sila Bhattabharamasa Vichikita fetters. Because uh, there's no point in continuing being, uh, uh, I'm just practicing with the vicha as a vicha or ignorance and the self is your position that you interpret life from. That's why I, I can get so frustrated with you sometimes because you, you just uh, kind of waste of time, my God, pointing like this and then people endlessly, you know, operate from the self-view and really give it the, 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 the great importance, the urgent, the necessity of life without reflecting on it or refusing to or something or other. It's a commitment to conditioned phenomena that is so powerful in the Dakaya Ditti Thilabhata Bharamasa, Vichikicha, attachment to thought, to views and opinions. Of course, it's my problem, isn't it? Wanting you to understand <laughs> ultimate reality. <laughs> this is my creation. <laughs> so I have to work on that level. On my, there's nothing I can do. You know, I can't make you recognize it. So it's like listening, wanting you to recognize the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, wanting you to be enlightened, is certainly, you know, it's, it's a compassionate desire. But it's still, when attached to that desire, then, then I experience the suffering that comes from that attachment. And that's, that's why it's so, this uh, ubadana, this way that we, you know, we can be attached to, to wanting, you know, the very best for everybody in the world. You know, the great altruistic uh, mindset, the bodhisattva, the, the, these grand visions of 
saving all sentient beings and wanting to to free all sentient beings from all suffering. You know, this is this is a grand vision that we can create and and it's good, it's beautiful, it's magnificent. But it still can be coming from uh Sakyaditi, Silabhatabaramasa Vitikita. And so even as a with our grand vision we can still suffer. From not from the vision, but from being attached to the vision or the sakyaditi, the 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 sense of wanting something, wanting something to be something it's not. Want, wanting to free all sentient beings from suffering is uh, the ultimate altruistic vision. But attachment to that vision, then we suffer because we can't make it happen. We, we can become embittered or cynical because uh, we have this grand vision but it just doesn't seem possible. The intransigent stubbornness of human individuals, human society, political systems, or like that, it seems hopeless. So in this uh, emphasis of the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, then what? To recognize it. That's why I always refer back to these Four Noble Truths. If you notice that, you know, over all the, these years that some of you have been with me, that's the main, that's always the reference point. Suffering, its causes, cessation, and the way of non-suffering. <clears throat> because I found that in every practical way, the Marasutta are kind of helpful means to to get at everything in yourself your you know even your most altruistic desires attachments it isn't just to get rid of a kind of sexual desire and and uh, selfish uh, obsessions and uh, emotional immaturity but you know we still suffer from from our idealism grand vision Or just subtleties that we we can't even recognize at first. If we're always, you know, if we never question this uh, sense of, you know, this having to do, having to meditate, having to get somewhere, having to attain stages. Or the opposite, we can we can take the opposite. We shouldn't try to meditate. We shouldn't, you know, we should just be aware. And then even I should just be aware becomes an obsessive position we take. It's still ubadhana, still sakayaditi, the self-view and the attachment that comes to that. And there's a, this is where these, uh, you know, the conundrum, true but not right, right but not true, help to contemplate things to be right, you know, should be mindful. I agree. We all should be more mindful. Good advice. 
to truism. And if it, and then the dualistic mind, if it's right, then it must be true. And if it's true, it must be right. So we, we've got, we're stuck in this sense of what is true is right and what is right is true. Then Lung Po Cha's reflection, true but not right, right but not true, kind of throws off that simplicity of, of the duality, you know. True and right mean the same thing then. And, this is, and, uh, and then we become very rigid in how we see everything from a righteous position or from how things should be. And it's true. Things, we should be kind and moral and good and compassionate and selfless. It's, it's absolutely right. And this is language, you know, this is, this is how language concepts affect the consciousness. Or righteousness, you can get, you know, in any religion, it suffers a lot from being, becoming righteous. You know, we, we should love God, and uh, it's right, and we should be moral. We should keep the precepts. It's true. We sh all should. <laughs> and then, then we become very righteous when we see people not keeping the precepts. Or, you know, it's just we, we become really kind of moralistic and condemning of immorality, of drinking, of sexual behavior, of gambling. Um, and we become, we get a, on this high horse of righteousness. And uh, we're right. <laughs> <coughs> but it's, you know, that's not, when you really examine that, the reality of being righteous, it's, it's not a very peaceful mental state to cultivate. Me being right. So I mean, I know monks, they just always have to be right. They have to, they argue and they, they, they can't admit that they're wrong in any way. So you just, the, the, the determination to always be right and they quote scriptures, prove their right views according to scriptural interpretations. And it's not that they're wrong. Do you see what I mean? It's, a, it's the ubatana to a viewpoint, which is right. But it's still a condition, isn't it? A right view on the worldly level. An attachment to that right view is sakayaditi thilabhata bharamasa vichikita. Now this is getting, you know, this, and the only way you can ever really resolve this problem is through awareness, through real recognizing the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. It's just the simplicity of this pure conscious awareness here and now. 
So it's it's beyond concept, you know. The <coughs> the Wichikecha, the third fetter, doubt, translated as doubt. I've explored that for forty years. The my the doubting tendency of my that I have. So it's, uh, you know, just something I recognize the, even before I met Ajahn Chah. It's this obsessive skepticism, doubt, insecurity that, that, I, that I was trapped into through the way I thought and the kind of character I have. It's a doubting kind of critical mind. And it tends, in a, and it turns inward. The critical mind was more inward, more towards myself than, to, uh, than externally, you know. I wasn't all that, <coughs> you know, harsh on the world around me, or so critical of it, as, as that critical tendency got obsessed with, with myself as a person. So there was a lot of obsessive criticism and uh, judgments, value judgments towards about me uh, as a person. Now that was, I don't know, how, you know, my sister didn't seem to have this problem. I mean, we were, you know, close enough in age, and <laughs> but different karmic inheritances, obviously, or different tendencies. So this is, you know, just explaining this, uh, how I've used this, this uh, seemingly, uh, uh, this fetter of wichikicha, or doubt, for exploration, you know, just getting to know it, to recognize it, rather than just trying to resist it, or become overwhelmed with doubt to where I can't see anything but just just a, a feeling of desperation of being so feeling so insecure uncertain <clears throat> so uh, you know then this this dukkha the first noble truth and say well this is definitely dukkha Wanting to know, wanting certainty, not wanting to have this, not being able to commit myself to anything very much because of I could always find something wrong with it. Why I shouldn't? Or something wrong with myself, seeing the, the obsession around any form of weakness that I might see in myself or cowardice any flaw, anything, uh, you know, that I didn't like. You know, I could see all kinds of things in myself, in my behavior, I didn't like at all. So, I mean, it was, uh, and this became an obsession, you know, just this, you shouldn't think like that, you shouldn't be like this. And, <clears throat> and the kind of nagging, uh, Super ego. Uh, terrible. 
super kind of terrible nag is always always uh, putting a damper on everything. The total wet blanket. You know, you can be having a good time and then suddenly the superego says, this puts a, spoils the whole thing. And it would be internal, you know, it wouldn't be due to necessarily the external condition. So this is, you know, recognizing the, the dukkha of this, seeing it always as some kind of personal flaw, as some kind of maybe imperfection in my character. Maybe I was born with, a, with some kind of something missing, a screw loose or something. Maybe the nut wasn't screwed on tightly enough when I was born and came loose. So I have to spend the rest of my life in this kind of limbo of doubt and self-judgment. Uh, or <coughs> recognizing this in the terms of the noble truth. You know, and so this is where the second noble truth really resonated when the, the bawa dhanha vipa wadanha, wanting to, wanting to become enlightened, wanting to be free from suffering, wanting to get rid of doubt, wanting to get rid of suffering, vipa wadanha. So it's like, like taking that, this uh, Four Noble Truths and applying it to, to the very suffering that I'm experiencing in the present. Wanting you to recognize the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned. I can see that if I'm not aware of that, then I can suffer from that wanting you know, how I perceive you anyway, or how I, how I particularly react to, a, to what you say or a situation. So it's always this, this uh, Dukkha Samudaya Niroda Maga, the Four Noble Truths, that I've used as a, I found a, <coughs> a great blessing, a simple enough teaching but it, and you know it's based on the, the, this ordinary kind of suffering. It's not that I, you know, get depressed or, or uh, you know, go into to terrible uh, fits of doubt and despair around life. But it's it's not you know I've certainly, you know, that's no not a problem. But just the the irritation, frustration of being a, an individual human being, living in a society, living in a community, and the, with the continual irritations that are part of this life. The, this realm is like this. This sense realm, physical realm, sense realm, is, is an irritation. You know, it's a, it's a continuous, something always attacking your senses. So we end up complaining, you know, the weather, or this or that, or the noise, or the food, or, uh, you know, you can have a low level of grumbling. 
and complaining in, in one's life, which is dukkha when you look at it, just a, how, you know, just a, a kind of complaining, blaming uh, on a low level is still dukkha. It's, I can still see it as the first noble truth. And then the causes of it, wanting the weather, if I don't like the the weather, complain about it. Because here in England, it's part of the culture is to complain about the weather. You know, it's a part of the cultural way we talk. You know, we say, you know, we you know, this immediately English climate and, and immediately everywhere. And this is and the English are responsible for this. They're, they're, they always say how terrible the weather is here. <clears throat> And then you, when you go to see movies that take place in England, they always show London and red double-decker buses and people walking on the streets of London with umbrellas. This seems to be the, the, uh, you know, the image that the English and the world has now of, of this country. And then the complaint, you know, the English climate, you know, that too damp, this and that. It goes on and on, you know, it becomes part of a, a way of relating to each other, complaining about the weather. Or, is it really that bad? It's the climate. <laughs> and so this is the, you know, when I first came to, to live here in 1977, I could see right away you know, how, you know, how, because uh, you know, the other monks I was with at Hampstead were always complaining about the weather. And so, you know, and I didn't think the weather was that, you know, it didn't seem, you know, I quite liked the weather, actually. <laughs> but it, uh, but it became, it's a way that you kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of rhetorical complaining. Oh, you know, the climate. You never know what you're going to get here. And that kind of thing. So I, you know, I, I, you know, I, had, I determined not to complain about the weather. That was right, you know, 1977. Because I didn't want to perpetuate that tendency in my relating to, to people in this country. Because I didn't, you know, some of the most perfect days, weather-wise, I've spent here in England. You know, when you, some of the, sometimes, you know, the, the weather can be extreme, it's just like perfect, not too hot, not too cold. And you recognize that and appreciate it. So that the memories you have are not based on, you know, of the weather you don't like, but also you 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 have you know when I think back my life here. Thirty. Three years in this country, I've lived here longer than anywhere else. It isn't. I don't have this picture of of terrible weather. I have I have memories of beautiful days, summer days, spring, bluebells, daffodils, all this kind of thing. And bright skies. I have I have memories of that. It's not just you know gray skies and rain. 
But if, if, you know, if I just fed myself with complaining perceptions, then that's how, that's what, that's what you tend to uh, cling to. Your habit tendencies will, will always project into your consciousness, the, oh, the weather, oh, this, or oh, that, or, you know, around the, the structure of this, of this uh, form. They, they complain about it as patriarchal. So this word patriarchal has become pejorative word. So, so people say it's patriarchal. And, it, and they say it not as if that was a good thing, it's a bad thing. Patriarchy is bad. <clears throat> Hierarchy is bad. Equality is good. And and so the mind is, you know, it's influenced. It's a patriarchal, and immediately, you know, you aren't aware maybe of how that word affects your consciousness and the emotions it arises. Now, in awareness, you know, you know, these, these are tendentious words, you know, they, they, they have, uh, you know, when patriarchy now means something bad, automatically. If it's patriarchal, it's, it's wrong. And, and this, is, this is just assumed and, and uh, you know, a way to, to kind of complain about our tradition is to say it's patriarchal. And you don't see what you're doing. You see, you just assume that it shouldn't be. That we've got to change it so that it's matriarchal or where they, there's, it's, it's uh, completely balanced between yin and yang. A total equality, perfect balance, perfect equality between the male and female. There's no male dominance, no female dominance. And that's well, where is that possible? Where is, uh, where do yin and yang, where, where do they come together as a unity? Now, if you, if you take sides, or you see this, the suffering of attachment. So the unity, unicity lies in awareness. You know, it's a awakened consciousness. Now, this is you have to listen and and feel these things. You know, feel this sense of uh, you know of how words, concepts, tones of voices, uh, your own uh, you know super ego. Uh, all these kind of conditions affecting consciousness in the present. It's not, it's, it's not a criticism of it, it's recognizing how one condition, you know, it, conditions arise because of other conditions. This itta budgeta in uh, Pali, you know, this uh, one condition, this condition is here because of other conditions. And so this is, uh, 
It's not about that there's, we've got to get rid of the bad conditions and only create good ones, or that all conditions should be, you know, that they can be equal. All conditions should be seen in exactly the same tolerant way. That's idealism. Because conditions have different effects, you know, so praise affects me like this. Uh, blame, being blamed for something affects me like this. The conditions change. And on a personal level, you know, if, if uh, my personality will be affected. When I'm praised, my personality changes. And when it's blamed, it, it goes another, it goes differently. When it's criticized. So, I mean, this is, uh, and this, observing this is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. If there was not the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there would be no escape from the <coughs> born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. So because there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there is the escape from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. I think that's perfect statement. In in you know, in, it's not it's not in tendentious language, is it? It's not intimidating. It's not personal. It's it's. Uh, it's not even inspiring, you know, it isn't kind of like, it's all about love and oneness and fulfillment and, and all that, which are inspiring concepts. But it, it's, uh, it's put in these kind of neutral words, the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And this is, this is where, you know, it's uh, really investigating this. The unborn right now, Then, uh, then the born is the sakyaditi. My, uh, my frustration, my wanting something I don't have or not wanting things to be the way they are. The different kind of uh, uh, complaints that people have, uh, you know, towards the tradition or towards Buddhism or that effects like this. The, uh, the praising of it, the complaining about it. And listen to the whole thing, you know, to, to the praise and blame, to, to the Sakyaditi Silabhata Bhattabharamasa Vichikicha. Listening to, uh, you know, the, the thinking mind. to my own views and opinions and, and uh, my own preferences, listening to them, not trying to get rid of them. And then this, this reflection, that which is aware is not suffering. Like Sakyaditi, what I want for you is good, 
the best, actually. I want every one of you to be enlightened and free from all suffering. Now, that I can't imagine anything better wish <laughs> to make. <laughs> but if it's, you know, but then, uh, you know, if, if I'm attached to that, if I don't see the attachment to that, then I can suffer from being attached to that very grand altruistic wish. So that's where this, uh, this, this uh, mindfulness is the only way we can have perspective on it. Because wanting everybody to be perfectly enlightened is good, it's grand, it's beautiful. But the awakened consciousness then is one can still have such altruistic thoughts. But then there's a difference between a being attached to it out of ignorance and non and being and not being attached. And that's the discerning ability. So you can discern the difference. Being attached to altruistic visions is like this. And non-attachment to altruistic visions is like this. And that's the panya or discerning ability that we have through awareness, through mindfulness. This is not about, it's no longer in the conditioned realm. So the, the, it includes the everything. It can include, you know, the cynicism, the bitterness, the, the altruism, the good intentions, the selfish intentions, right and wrong, includes devils, angels, heaven and hell, everything, every, every perception, every condition, uh, every quality, coarse and refined. It can be very coarse, very subtle, very refined. And, and these are f coarse and refined are are concepts, you know. And the conditions change, aren't they? they what's coarse, you know? And we, there's refined conditions, coarse conditions, good ones, bad ones. But the awareness, you see, there's a consciousness, awareness, wisdom, panya, is informing our conscious, this conscious moment, this affirmation of there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. This is it. This is, this is, I recognize it. And you know, the sound of silence, this attentive, broad spectrum awareness, then includes whatever condition I'm experiencing in the present, you know my emotional feelings, moods, uh, sense of myself as a person, cultural assumptions, attitudes, good, bad, right, wrong, it includes everything. So then the, there's room for everything then, it's not about 
using your life to, 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 as a battle, endless battle, to kill off the evil forces. That to see the nature of conditioned phenomena in which you're no longer blinded, enslaved, and limited by your habits, by your thoughts, by your uh, emotions. You still have them, but you're, there's a difference. There's a discerning non-attachment is like this. Attachment to, to happiness, sadness, and so forth is like this. You can become personally happy, personally sad, or non-attachment doesn't lessen the happiness, but it's no longer goes into suffering. You know, so your, your ability to respond, it's a, like spontaneity come from this awareness, not, not through uh, controlling environments or in controlling your emotions or through, through uh, you know, trying to hold on to the refined or the beautiful uh, by rejecting the other. Also the fear of evil and cruelty and all that. When there's attachment, there's, al there's always going to be, there's always fear as a result. A self, you know, a self-view. When, when my personality becomes dominant, then there's a lot of fear. As a person, you know, when, if, when I blind myself, limit myself to Sakya Jitti, then fear is the result of that. So then the fearless is not me as a kind of fearless warrior. Or anything like that. I think that's more on the mythological level. But fearlessness is is awareness. Because then fear, if if you are experiencing fear, you can observe it. You have a perspective on it rather than just reacting through suppressing it or being caught you know, obsessed with fear or just trying to resist it and and suppress it. See, so the, the liberation then is there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. It should be recognized, realized. And then the insight, it has been recognized. This is it. This attentiveness in the present. Here and now, Pachubana Dhamma. And then, it, then the fourth noble truth, Samaditi, comes from this, so that right, right understanding, right view. Cultivated, Pawana. So then that insight, like in monastic form, is very useful way to pawana or cultivate awareness. You know, that's what it's made for. 
uh, Buddhist monasticism. It's, it's, a, it's a convention for cultivating, for pavana. And yet we can use it for sakyaditi, sila bhattabharamasamizhija. <laughs> that's where the, you know, it's, it's a, it is a convention, you know, so it, it, it's, it's how you use it, you know, whether you're using it for what it's meant to be for or using it for worldly, uh, developing worldly habits, worldly attitudes. So that's why I appreciate, like the, you know, the morning chanting, evening chanting. This gives structure as a community. You know, it's, it's a monastic life. It has a, you know, as, a, as you cultivate awareness in the, not just to, you know, be intimidated into attending the morning, evening chanting out of fear of being. Uh, what senior monks or senior nuns are going to say, you know, just duty. I mean, you can recognize all these different reactions we have to it. You know, so we can feel guilty if we don't attend or we can justify, you know, there's, there's all kinds of reasons to attend or not attend. And that, but this is, that the, the encouragement is not to to attend through through uh, just compulsive fear and guilt, but to use these these structures for awareness, the attachment to them, or know the difference between being attached to views about morning puja, evening puja, and non-attachment to views. So the, the, then the, you know, the, the uh, Vinaya, using Vinaya, way of attachment and non-attachment. So that it's not about, you know, we, when we have rules, we have uh, moral standards, we're celibate, we're, uh, we have this, we're strict uh, with Vinaya. Keeping the rules and, and things like this. That can be Silabhattabharamasa Sakyaditi or it's not. And that's, that's, that's and only you can know how you're using it. You know, if, if the Vinaya and monastic tradition <coughs> increases your Sakyaditi, don't blame the tradition or the Vinaya because the, the teaching is about suffering and the freedom from suffering. So, you know, it's not, you know, to blame the tradition or the Vinaya for, the, for your suffering Maybe you create suffering around the tradition or the vinaya. And this is where you need to discern that, the difference between 
what I, how I, my, the way I cling or attach to my views around Theravada Buddhism or Thai forest tradition or uh, Vinaya or things like this. Or the way of non-attachment. Now that is discerning. That that's an that's an internal thing. And, and you know your your relationship to these conventions. You know it's to be recognized. It's like this. If if the Vina is making me guilt-ridden, and obsessed, and uh, worried and anxious. Is it because of the fall of Vinaya or is it because of the way I'm attaching to it? And this is for you to, to discern what attachment is and non-attachment. Because then you, you, know, you know for yourself it's not no longer me telling you you should keep the rules and, and you'll have, you know, it's bad karma if you break any of the rules and you should do this and me intimidating you into, into, you know, through telling you how you should be, <clears throat> how you should keep the rules, and if you don't, then you're not a good samana, and like this. One can get very righteous around these kind of things. So, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the encouragement is what, what is this life for, this uh, tradition for? Attachment or if the Buddha established uh, this vinya, it obviously was intended not to create Sakyaditi with it. Or Silapattabharamasa. But to reflect that. And so that's the that's the conundrum of Lung Po Cha. It says to Meto, you must be confused about Dhamma Vinaya. Dhamma is letting go and Vinaya is, a, is like attachment. It's all about rules, uh, do's and don'ts, restriction, boundaries, right speech, right action, right livelihood. And all this is in terms of the cultural conditioning tends to uh, create more sakyaditi in terms of my own habit tendencies. You know, if I, if I see this from my cultural attitudes, from the way I was brought up, from my cultural background, from my, my uh, personality, it becomes a form of sakyaditi. So then the then, and then non-attachment, it can be seen, Sakyaditi says, well, I, I shouldn't, I don't have to worry about the Vinaya, it's just attachment, I'll just practice the Dhamma. That's still Sakyaditi. It's not about, about taking a position for or against, but in using, using the convention for awareness, suffering, dukkha, its causes, the cessation and the path. So this is, you know, this awakened this, the Buddhism, then the Buddha Dhamma is awakened consciousness. Buddha knows the Dhamma 
The Sangha is those who practice, who pavana, who, who are mindful, cultivating, developing awareness. So, you know, see this uh, Amravati, the particular place, not as some kind of personal investment or <clears throat> seeing it as blind conformity to, to uh, an Asian tradition or the way that, you know, I hear people talking about uh, Theravada Buddhism and the way that we the way that we're structured, always as if there's something wrong with it and that we've got to change it in order to, to uh, meet the needs of the time. These are opinions, views of individuals, of maybe societies. But that's not the point in, in the, this life. You know, when you take Bapa Chao Prasambhada, it's, it's not about changing or making it something other, but in using it for awareness, cultivating, for pavana, for seeing the, the causes of suffering, discerning upadana or attachment and non-attachment. And so then there, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And if there wasn't the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there would be no escape from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. Because there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there is the escape, the freedom, liberation from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. And that is discerning within your your, in your consciousness, you know, being able to, to trust this awareness and cultivate it, in which then the conventional forms are supportive of awareness rather than, than uh, inducing more suffering. <clears throat> 